0: Life Audio. The Ryan Reese Show from, from Southern California, California. This is the Ryan Reese Show. Post your questions using at Ryan Reese on his Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. Are you ready? Ready. All right, it is going down. This show, I'm excited. Um, I got contacted by one of my good friends, uh, Angie Colossan, out in Nashville, and she um, she's actually uh, contacted me several times where she has really amazing uh, people I need to get in the studio. She contacted me. She says, you need to get this guy in. He's coming to California. Um, He has a radical story. It would be perfect for you guys to show. So here we are after several text messages and a couple months. Actually, you know what? You actually showing up, it was a lot quicker than uh, most guests. Normally it (laughs) could take a year or whatever. So this happened uh, pretty quickly. It's Brian Rucker. He's the director of Celebrate Recovery at the WFR Church in West uh, Monroe, Louisiana. And you're also the former member. Uh, you're actually, you were part of the duck dynasty, right? Of, yeah, yeah. Former cast on, on some of the shows.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that was, uh, you know, that was just really cool to be a part of that, you know, being somebody from where I'm from, uh, cause I didn't grow up in West Monroe, Louisiana. I grew up in Houston, Texas.
0: Right, right. So yeah. I want to actually, that's, that's interesting. Cause I was listening to some of your story and I did hear that you were actually down there in Houston, which mm-hmm. we have a lot of friends down there. We've done a lot of work, but now you're out You're out there with these guys in Louisiana. Yeah. And it's probably night and day difference, right, between the two kind of lifestyles?
1: Oh, 100%. I mean, you know, you got Houston, Texas, which is fast-paced. And right. Especially where I'm from. I grew up in, like, low-income neighborhood, basically mm-hmm. the projects. Mm-hmm. And so it's chaos everywhere. Almost like you, you develop this survival mentality just staying there. And then I get to West Monroe, Louisiana, Mm -hmm. where everybody's kind, everybody's friendly. It's a lot Does that freak you out or what? No, for sure. For sure. (laughs) What do they want from me? (laughs) Well, yeah, it was like, what do you want from me? But then also, I remember calling people back home and being like, man, this place is like a fairy tale. You know, people that know West Monroe, Louisiana, they're like, no, it stinks. There's a paper mill there. They're like, there's no fairy tale. But to me, I was like... Man, people out here are nice. They're kind. These people are waiting to get married before they have sex. I'm um, like, I'm like, it, man, I didn't know this place existed. It, it, it's a place with like morals. It's like that all, you know, how America
0: was actually uh, created with morals and everything. And it's, it's funny because I'm from L.A. and uh, I moved up to Boise recently and we're like people are like wait for you to like make a right turn or you know, there are people are like nice. Right. <laughs> Versus here you're you're fighting to get in the lane, and you're here and people are in a rush and people are pissed off and the whole yeah. thing. So I know it's it's amazing. We're like, What is going on here? People oh, are yeah, so yeah. stinking nice. Yeah. But let's before we even get to that, let's let's start how you even grew up. I mean, did you grow up uh when you were growing up, what were you into? Because I know these guys are, you know, shooting guns, catching fish and all that stuff. Yeah. How would you grow up?
1: Were you guys, did you grow up in a, uh, with a father and a mother? How did your life start? No, so uh, basically I've been on my own since I was 13 years old. I grew up, like I said, in Houston, Texas, yeah. uh, in the projects, literally in a, a two-bedroom apartment all the way in the back. The mm-hmm. neighborhood I grew up in, we called it The Hole because it was one way in, one way out. And, um, you know, growing up there, it was uh, – I came to the realization at nine years old that, like, you can die. And that was whenever I seen a guy get gunned down in mm. this field right next to the apartments where we used to play games at, mm-hmm. you know, games like Run Through the Middle, Tag. Like, I watched a dude get gunned down as I'm sitting on my porch and I'm thinking to myself, like, oh, like, you can die out here. Right, right. And And, uh, you know, for a, for a nine-year-old kid, that's a really – strange realization to come to, Mm -hmm. you know, it kind of throws everything about your development out of whack. Right. And so, uh, so I have a question for you though, about these gangs. So what kind of
0: gangs are down there in, in Houston? Is it,
1: it's a lot like the gangs here, okay. only a lot less organized. Okay. Uh, you know, you would think that, like, um, you know, you hear gang, oh, it's got to be organized and everything else. Yeah. Well, not so much. Uh right. You know, from my understanding, at least what I was taught growing up, yeah. you know, as gangs migrated out of L.A., mm-hmm. you know, they would go to Arizona. And then Houston was one of those next big got hubs it. where they started planting gangs. Right. Um, and so— you have bloods, you have cribs, you have different sections. So it's, so of those. it's, all, those, it's all those. Yeah, games yeah, out there. yeah. A lot okay. of Hispanic gangs also, right. uh, you know, that stem from the prison system, right? Uh, and everything a little bit different, but pretty much the same thing. We right. different names, right. uh, in in some degrees, but. I mean, a lot of it is very similar. God, got it. Got so white gangs too? Oh, yeah. Okay. Got yeah, it. yeah. Absolutely. Aryan Brotherhood, they they actually, in prison, you have the ABT, which is the Aryan Brotherhood of Texas. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, direct uh, break off from the Aryan Brotherhood that was started here. You have Wood Powell, which is, you know, Pecker Woods, right, stuff right. like that. Crazy.
0: Yeah. So here you are, you're growing up in this in this area, in the neighborhood, and you see this guy get taken out. how that affect you growing up? I and mean, what was that? Because, I mean, obviously, there's all these things that happen to you. When you look back at your life, there's these, these, there's these, these places that mark these times yeah. in your life that it changes, like, your mentality. It changes your heart. It just does something to you. It has an impact on your
1: life. Yeah, well, what we know now is those are trauma points, right? right? Like, right. But you, growing up in that, you don't realize what nope. trauma is or anything else. You tell yourself, and what the only thing that you know is that this is how life is. Right. So, uh, I grew up in an all black neighborhood. Okay. So the street gang that I was part of was just predominantly a black street gang. Got it. Uh, and so being the only person my color there, like mm-hmm. I used to have to fight every day mm-hmm. as a real young kid, I used to have to fight before I got on the bus when I was on the bus. And then when I got off the bus okay. until eventually, you know, I just kind of earned my stripes and I was just a, another kid in the neighborhood. Right. Um, So seeing all this stuff, it wasn't just the watching the murder happen, but it was, you know, just walking to the corner store to get a Snickers bar. You Mm. see prostitutes, you see people selling crack and everything else. And one of the people that I was closest to in my neighborhood, another kid, his dad was like one of the biggest narcotics distributors there and so he kind of took me under his wing i remember being a little kid learning how to roll blunts and uh putting them in a pencil bag and taking them to school selling blunts like three for five um you know stuff yeah, yeah, like that yeah. it was just how i grew up yeah uh and i really didn't know that there was any other way mm-hmm. i remember watching shows like uh family matters and full house yeah. you know growing up right and uh I would see how they operated in the stuff that happened. And I was just like, man, that's not real. Mm-hmm. Like like that, that stuff totally doesn't exist. Fantasy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. it just doesn't exist. Yep. You know, it's a, it's made for TV. And uh, so, yeah, man, like just my, my perspective of everything was so skewed because of the stuff that I witnessed on a day to day. So how was it growing
0: up with your with your mom and your dad? How how they affect your life or what influence did they have as you were growing up around this this whole?
1: Yeah, so never knew my dad uh ever never never knew him or anything like that. I grew up in the home with uh, my mom and my grandmother. Mm-hmm. And uh you know, uh my mom, she got sick when I was around 12 years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, she had actually gotten sick way before that, but she bounced back. She uh, started having tumors. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember, uh, you know, being a kid, she went into the hospital for tumors, uh, they would go in, remove a tumor, and then another one would develop, they would go in, remove that tumor, another one would develop, mm-hmm. I ended up, she ended up spending almost an entire year in the hospital and my life consisted of like, getting up, go to school. Get out of school, go to the hospital, visit my mom, and then come back home. And at that point, I was uh, I started selling weed at 11, started selling crack at 12. So at that point, like I'm just on the block with, with my friends, right? Like, right, you yeah. know, yeah, selling, I know
0: that age that's that's that age when you could be out in the yeah, streets. yeah. I'm
1: selling dime bags and yeah. nickel rocks, you know, crazy. And so, uh, you used to carry back then, uh, pistols. Yeah. No, I didn't buy my first gun until after my mom died, mm-hmm. and so, uh, but. So I I go and visit her, come home, everything. Well, on one of the last surgeries that they did to remove a tumor, they ended up sewing her back up with one of the towels that you wipe up blood with in the operating room inside of her. Mm. And it caused a foreign body infection. Mm. I remember uh, the doctor coming in saying, hey, we, we made a mistake. And then uh they go in remove the towel say they get rid of all the infection i would go up to the hospital and i'd see my mom laying in this bed with these tubes hooked up to her and it was just pumping this green fluid out mm-hmm. of her into this clear tub at the end of the bed and uh they they say they get rid of all the infection they send her home uh and like i said we we stayed in a two bedroom apartment at that time and so uh my my Grandma had a room, I had a room, and then my mom, before she went into the hospital, would just kind of stay in the living room. Uh, And whenever they sent her home, she still had IVs in her and stuff like that. And so we had to move everything out of my room and move in like a hospital bed Mm -hmm. and everything. We were dirt poor, didn't have nothing. So a friend of the family would come and tend to her IVs uh, because we couldn't afford nobody to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. dang. Well, uh, on December 18th, it was about a week later, uh, I'm home from school for break break, uh, and uh, she kept wanting me to watch this movie with her. I would walk into my room, and she would be in there. Uh, the movie was Chicken Run. It was this, like, claymation movie. I know that movie, yeah. Yeah, and she kept wanting me to watch it with her. It was coming on TV, and um, I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll watch the movie with you. And then I'd go outside, come back in, and she'd say, hey, are you going to watch this movie with me? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to watch the movie with you. I'd go back outside come back in and then uh one of the last times I talked to her she said, "Hey, the movie's coming on. Will you please watch this movie with me?" And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, I'll 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 be right back." And I was just going outside hang out with my friends mm-hmm. sell dime bags. Right. And then I come back in that last time and I remember walking by the bed that was in my room for and I and I remember hearing her snoring and I thought to myself, okay, good, I ain't got to watch that stupid movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, I go back out into the living room for the night, and I just sleep in the living room. The next morning, I wake up, and my grandma's like, hey, can you go get your mom up? Uh, Miss Diane's about to come change her IVs. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I walk up, I get to the doorway of the bedroom, and it just felt weird. You know, it was Mm -hmm. like this stillness. Uh, And uh, I start uh, walking up to the bed, And I remember having the thought of, like, man, she looks like she's dead. Mm -hmm. Um, But still, I walk up to her, and I start nudging her on her shoulder. And I'm like, hey, Mom, wake up. And uh, she passed away that night. So at 13 years old, I found my mom dead.
0: Another trauma.
1: Another trauma point, right?
0: Dang. So now, okay, so you don't have your father around. Never met him. You lost your mom. You're selling drugs. You're how old again? Thirteen. Thirteen. You're thirteen years old. Mm -hmm. You're with your grandma. Yeah. So what? What what was the next thing that that happens?
1: So so like literally the next thing that happens is like I'm hit with another reality. Like so since I'm a counselor now, I see all these trauma things that happen. Yeah. And you don't realize what they are at the time, but Mm -hmm. like I literally walk into the living room and I tell my grandma, "Hey, my mom's dead." And she's like, what? You know, this and that. Freaking out, yeah. Like, I I literally have to pick up the phone, call 911 and say, hey, my mom died. And then I just set the phone down Mm -hmm. and I leave. Uh, Well, not long after, you know, just kind of fast forward a little bit. Less than six months later, I get incarcerated for the first time.
0: Okay, well, this is my question. When that happened, what happened inside of your heart? Because, like, the, I had a pretty gnarly trauma with, with, with some stuff when I was young. And it led me to, like, hate God and, and not trust women. And, like, there's all this crazy stuff with, like, death that happened to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just got I, – I, I was just pissed off, hated people, and just angry at God wanted nothing to do with him. Yeah. Losing your mom – if you're a Christian, not a Christian, or whatever it is, this is these are some feelings that could definitely happen where you just get angry at the God, even if you believe in a God.
1: Yeah. So you're I'll not. put it like this, man. Like, so I grew up totally atheist, never believed in God okay. or anything else. Okay. Uh, so so it, that, wasn't, it wasn't really a thought towards God okay. uh, ever. But uh, I remember that whenever I made it back to the apartment that day, the paramedics were there. I walk in, and the paramedics set me down on the couch, and he— tells me hey we're sorry to tell you but your mom died right Mm. and i remember i cried for about half a second Mm. and then i just was angry Mm. i had people showing up people calling i remember i had to pick up the phone and call everybody we knew myself hey i was just calling let you know my mom died hang up the phone call the next person hey i'm just calling to let you know my mom died hang up the phone call the next person Right. And so it was like every single phone call I made and every single time somebody showed up and tried to talk to me, it just made me more and more angry. Mm -hmm. So, like I said, we're in the project. So they Mm -hmm. had this police liaison officer show up because it's December 19th. It's right before Christmas. Mm And she shows up with this box, and it's got, like, a pair of shoes in there, basketball, football. Like, hey, we're sorry your mom passed away right before Christmas. Here's this giant box of gifts. And I was just like, man, I don't give a crap about exactly. none of that. Exactly. You know what I'm saying?
0: Yeah. yeah, exactly.
1: Um, And so everything just made me more and more angry. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it wasn't necessarily I'm angry at God. Yeah. Uh, you know, you're angry at. Truth mm-hmm. be told, yeah. I don't even know what I was angry at. Yeah. I just knew I was angry and you know, I was selling a little bit of drugs here and there, just kind of hanging out with friends, just really just trying to be a part of the neighborhood. Yeah. Uh, but that's where it shifted. That's where it was like I don't care about nothing.
0: Another question: Are you using drugs as well? Or are you just slanging it.
1: I was smoking a little bit of weed. You yeah, know, yeah. So I, you so weren't so you I,
0: weren't getting on the hard stuff. It was just more weed and and, and moving the the yeah, units. Yeah,
1: because I was right, You know, I was brought up by these gang members and drug dealers right. who it's like, hey, you don't do any of this stuff. Like right. we sell this stuff, but we don't do it. Right now, right. you get older, you realize, oh, y'all are doing coke and stuff too, but. At least that's how it was portrayed to us. Like, if you, if you use it, you're a dope fiend. Like, you can't do that. Right. You know, we're making money off of it.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. So, now here we are. So, what, what are the next moves that you make in your life from this, from this point on?
1: So, I go and I, I buy my first gun uh, less than six months later. I'm still 13. I go get my first gun, and it was, uh, it was a little 25 Beretta. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was one of those ones that had the flip-up uh, barrel. I didn't even have a clip for it. Uh, I just like just had the gun and one bullet in the barrel. Mm. And uh, I remember getting the gun and I'm thinking to myself, like, man, I can I could be a millionaire with this thing. Right. Like like literally that was the thought. I was like, okay, this gun, like I can take something that somebody else has and and allow me to have something, you know. Mm -hmm. And so um, that power. Yeah. The power of it, you know. And Mm -hmm. so uh, I I came up with this idea that I was going to rob a Schwann's truck. I don't know if you're familiar. No, it's, it's so a smart. food truck. Okay. And they would come through the neighborhood and they would deliver food to, like, older people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, <laughs> you know, it's actually kind of funny because, uh, you know, my 13-year-old mind, I'm like, oh, man, this truck comes into the neighborhood. Like, they're dropping off food. They just got to have a stack of cash on them, you know? And so I'm like, All right, I'm going to rob that truck. And uh, literally, I ran up on the truck and I, I pull out the gun and I robbed the guy and he, he was about to deliver two boxes of ice cream sandwiches to somebody, so he literally throws the ice cream sandwiches at me. As this short, chunky Hispanic-looking kid runs up to him with a gun, and he throws the boxes of ice cream sandwiches at me. I just at you, yeah, 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 yeah. So like, so then I'm like, now, I'm like my adrenaline's pumping. I ain't never did this before, you know what I'm saying? So I, I pick up the ice cream sandwiches and I take off running to my apartment, right? And so I committed my first robbery at 13 years old, and all I got was two boxes of ice cream sandwiches. Less than 30 minutes later, the cops come arrest me. Oh, my god! And I go to jail for the first time at 13 for aggravated robbery with a deadly weapon. Wow. So how much time did you do for that? Two and a half years. Really? Yeah, yeah. So I was actually only supposed to do uh, nine months. So they kind of showed me a little bit of grace, was like— Hey, his, his mom died, all these circumstances. So I go to juvie at 13, yeah. start going to court and everything, and they sentence me to nine months TYC, which is Texas Youth Commission, yeah, basically yeah. penitentiary for the, youth, yeah. for the youth, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, of course, I've always been a good talker. I had leadership skills. I've never been the toughest guy mm-hmm. or anything else, but I could talk some people into stuff. Mm-hmm. So I go there with the nine-month sentence, and I tell myself, okay, well, I'm in jail. I need to start a gang. Mm -hmm. And so I started this little clique of people. And next thing you know, I got hit with an organized crime charge inside a juvenile facility. And I turned my nine months into two and a half years. So I'm locked up from 13 to 16 years old. Unbelievable.
0: So then from that point, did you decide, after you got hit with that, did you decide just to do your time and just to get out?
1: Well, no. So they actually, uh, they shipped me to this place called Gulf Coast. Uh, It's in Huntsville, Texas, Uh, actually New Waverly. But so basically what they said is like, If we don't make you do anything like you're this is going to be the rest of your life. It's crazy how looking back, how much God was Mm -hmm. still seeking after after me, like how much God was putting stuff in place Mm -hmm. uh, for my future. And I didn't even realize it. So they sent me to Gulf Coast. And basically the only way to be eligible for release is you have to get a GED, pass your learner's permit test and get a builder's trade. Hmm. And if you do that, then you're eligible for release. Perfect. So I'm like, okay, you gave me some goals. You tell me I could get out of here. Six months later, I got my GED, passed my learner's permit test, and I had a builder's trade in painting and remodeling. Perfect. And so I get released. That's
0: amazing. So now this is the question. When you get out, do you go back to gangbanging or do you actually put these these trades into place
1: no 100 right like so easy get, money right well <laughs> well well, not even that right like it's almost like a discouragement it, because you get out with all these aspirations right. of like man i'm gonna go get a real diploma uh i'm gonna go get a job and all this other stuff well then you get out and it's like i, I walked to the high school and they're like Hey man, you can't go to school here.
0: Oh, they won't let you in. No, right, yeah, like, right. like
1: like like you got your GED. Just be good with that, you right? Know? Right. Uh, I try to get a job, and it's like I'm the 16 year old kid, with, and it's with a crime. Like, They're like, nope. Yeah. yeah, they're like no, you know, uh, and and so and then you're surrounded. That's so true. By, That's
0: so true. They they get you out. Yeah, and then when you face the real music, is like everyone's like, no, I'm not touching you.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and then and then I'm surrounded by everything in my neighborhood.
0: Right. So you're back in the neighborhood. So yeah. I'm
1: back in the neighborhood. So it's like okay, well, uh, this is available, and so yeah, you just go right back to
0: it. Okay, so you're 16 at this point. Yeah, when you're out. Mm-hmm. So you're going back, you're, you're, you're slaying and stuff. What what was the next pivotal moment you feel like where God was kind of interceding or, or changing directions?
1: You know, I, I can't think of a, a moment during that time period yeah. that I can recall that I felt like, man, God was really with me. I felt like I was completely living for the world and mm. just totally. And now, mind you, I didn't believe in God, so right. I didn't yeah. view every anything through that lens. So I was just kind of... In it, uh, I made some connections while I was incarcerated in juvenile.
0: Did with, Jesus ever... Okay, go ahead. Tell, tell me about that. And then I want to ask you, did anyone ever even cross your path with, with any message from Jesus yeah. or Bible when you were yeah, in jail? Yeah. 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 Okay. 100%. Uh,
1: but so I, I made some connections with this dude uh, from San Antonio. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember the whole time we were locked up. He was part of my little clique that I started in mm-hmm. there. Uh, he would tell me, hey, uh, if you ever want to make some real money, like my brother has got it like you could call him get the best prices weed coke yada yada and um i would just kind of be like all right yeah whatever well whenever i'm getting released he gives me his number sends me a kite and gives me his brother's number and so i go back to just doing stuff in the neighborhood and one day i'm like i'm gonna just call this dude see what's up and it turns out he wasn't joking uh he was you know one of the cartels people And uh, next thing you know, I start picking up uh, several pounds of weed and coke and start selling it. And so throughout my life, I've always had this like there's this small little idea and then it turns into this huge thing.
0: Mm -hmm. Like
1: it's just how it's always been. Mm -hmm. So it starts off as this small Hey man, I'm gonna just do this, see what happens, and then next thing you know, yeah. I'm sitting in jail for two and a half years, or right. I'm making upwards of sixty thousand dollars a month right. selling dope. Had right. a pipeline from Houston to Columbia, South Carolina. Right, and it's like, man, if we had the time, I could break down how yeah. all that happened. Yeah. yeah, but you know, man, uh, that's one thing I love about this is like it's about Christ. bringing God yeah. glory. Mm-hmm. You know,
0: yeah. Uh, but it's it's good though to talk about how serious. Uh, the, your life was and the options and the stuff that you had avail, you know, available to you mm-hmm. to, to when God intercedes. Oh, yeah. I mean, think about how much money that is. I mean, that's a lot of dough to be, <laughs> to be making to just. Yeah.
1: Well, we had a little network, man, yeah. you know, just to, you know, they're like, oh, Columbia, South Carolina, like that sounds really random. Mm-hmm. Well, it's crazy because uh, one of the. F- dudes I was locked up with, we became friends. Mm. He went on a furlough while while we were incarcerated together as juveniles. Mm. Uh, on his furlough, he gets locked up, uh, you know, while he's on his furlough. And so the judge is like, hey, Army or prison, that's your options. So he goes and enlists in the Army and literally uh, rode with his mom and a few of his family members to Columbia, South Carolina, where he was graduating from boot camp, basic training, And on that trip, I made connections in Atlanta, Pensacola, Florida, uh, and Columbia, South Carolina, to distribute drugs to. Isn't that crazy? Like, it's just, again, it's like, uh, uh, you know, how does this happen? I was just like, oh, well, yeah, we're going to Columbia, South. Let's stop in Atlanta and see if anybody wants to buy a pound. Mm -hmm. And, like, now, you know, and then I made a connection there. It's just wild.
0: So we're going to, we're coming to the half of the show. Now, what was it that led you to the moment where you found God basically? Okay. So, oh, but I do want to have you answer that question though, about in, in, when you were locked up, cause a lot of yeah. people find jail or find God in jail. Right. Did, was there a, a Gideon Bible given to you? Was there a counselor? Was there a Christian that kind of hit you
1: up? Yeah, man, they had all kinds of stuff. I remember there was this guy that would show up, and it was just like, uh, hey, man, I want to tell you about Jesus. He right. hang out with some of us and everything. Uh, they actually, while I was at Gulf Coast, they allowed him to take us to Taco Bell to get some oh, food. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, like because you work your way up yeah. there at Gulf yeah. Coast. And, uh, and, yeah, so people definitely— Told me about Christ.
0: How did the gospel affect you when it hit you? As a as like, yeah. A, when, when, time when, when this guy's talking to you in jail, you just over your head. You just weren't about it, or were you actually listening
1: to any of it. No, 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 no. Yeah. It was all fake to me.
0: Yeah. Right. This okay. is
1: all just a man-made thing. Yeah. That, like, I don't care about who he is or anything else. Yeah. I know that like, if I come in here, I sit down and I talk to you, A, I get out of the dorm. Yeah. B, I get a Snickers bar and yeah. heck, I even got a trip to Taco Bell behind it. You know okay, what I'm saying? Gotcha.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. Cause yeah. it's like, it's, it's all about that timing, right? Yeah, yeah. With the gospel. Cause I grew up, like I walked away from God for I think like 25 years of my life. Didn't want mm. nothing to do with God. And my dad and different people would say stuff to me and he would just bounce off me. Cause I didn't, yeah. I just, I wasn't about it. I didn't care. Yeah. But then there's that moment that it all clicks. And that's the moment that I want to get into you now. Yeah, The is, word
1: says at just the right time. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know? And so it's like, man, and for me, that was, uh, several years later. So just to kind yeah. of fill it in. So, uh, I start making all this money. Next thing you know, I get involved with a gang related shooting oh. in my front yard a uh, person ends up dying, and then uh, I get incarcerated. For originally, my charge was aggravated assault with a deadly weapon. Uh, then the victim died uh, a month later due to complications of the gun wound, mm-hmm. and they helped me to murder too. And so, so now how, how old are you at this point? 17.
0: 17 years old. Yeah,
1: so I was only selling narcotics on that level for. Less than a year. Right. You know what I'm saying? A lot can happen
0: when you're in that world.
1: Right. Right. So there's a lot that I've seen, a lot of Mm -hmm. stuff that occurred, you know, just more trauma, more trauma, more trauma, just making me more and more of a crazy person. Yeah. And, uh, but so yeah, at 17, I get incarcerated on a murder charge, uh, fight the case, uh, until I'm about 18. And then I eventually catch change, uh, catch chain on a life without sentence on the murder charge.
0: Life without sentence.
1: Yeah, So basically, they convicted me, uh, and uh, they sentenced me to life without without the possibility of parole.
0: That's insane. And all this is happening when you're oh you're 18 now. Yeah, yeah. Case. I mean, so now like, you're going to, to to the to the. I'm
1: I'm literally in court, and uh and they you know I I've been talking to my lawyer through this glass mm-hmm. and these holding cells and stuff. And there was this older guy in there, and I remember uh, I had two co-defendants on the case. One of which had uh, kind of made a deal. And said, look, you give me 35 years, I'll sign the paper. Um, you know, and the other co-defendant was uh, one of my closest friends. He was my, he was my best friend. Mm. Uh, and uh, he was still on the run at the time. And so um, basically we, there's so much stuff up in the air that it was almost like, look, we're going to try to fight this thing on appeals. And so I remember I'm sitting in the holding tank. My lawyer comes to me. He says, hey, they're going to give you life. But there's hope, and I'm thinking to myself like, okay, what you know? what I mean, I'm I'm just like, you know, I'm trying to wrap my mind around all yeah, this stuff. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, yeah. I, I don't, you know, I had never been in love, I ain't never worked a job or anything else, and you're telling me that I'm gonna spend the rest of my life in prison. Yeah. And so he tells me that I go back and I sit down on the bench in there. There's this older guy in there, and uh, he he uh, he looks at me and he says youngster your life is over and i remember like that that's one of those moments that i just like i remember and i'm like man you're right my life is over and um man that's a tough pill to swallow yeah that's a huge pill to swallow you know so and who's this older guy where did he come from he's just some random dude that was waiting court too that day Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Like, he, I don't know him. Don't know his name. Didn't know anything about him. He was literally in the same holding cell as me in the same courtroom waiting to hear from his lawyer. And, and when you hear something like this, you're
0: still, like, not even considering there's a God. Because, like, it seems like when people are at the lowest point, even if they don't believe, they're like,
1: God, and, if you're real and you exist. or So at that point, mm-hmm. it was a rebellion. Like, it was like, I'm not going to pray to this thing. Right, You know, right, Because... Right. I don't believe in it, yeah, and I've never seen it work for nobody, right? right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, so, totally. No, no, you, that's
0: that's a hardcore atheist for sure. Yeah,
1: yeah. So I'm like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not even going to pray in this mm-hmm. moment. Mm-hmm. That's one of those, man. I'm still trying to figure out how I'm going to wrap my mind around, around
0: this situation. Yeah. Okay, hey, we're gonna be going to the break in a minute. Um, this story is, I, I can't wait to hear how this whole thing. How you encounter God? Because this is like super gnarly—the stuff that you've been through—and now here you are, you're you're getting life sentence. Yeah. And there's an old guy that says that you're done. Your life is over. I'm sure that sunk in real nice. We have Brian Rucker. He's the director of Celebrate Recovery at WFR Church in West Monroe, Louisiana, and he's also a former cast of the member. You're a member of the Duck Dynasty crew, so. Mm Awesome privilege to have you in here. And we'll be back in two minutes right after the break. Cool. More of the Ryan Reese show coming up. Post your questions at Ryan Reese on his Instagram, Twitter, and or Facebook. All right, if you guys have been tuning in on this last half, this show has been intense. Talking about someone's life, Brian Rucker, uh, just everything that you have been through. Atheists, uh, selling from a young age, growing up in a fatherless home, um, losing your mother um, at 13 years old, and then going to prison, getting out. And then uh, going back to the life, mm-hmm. you know, you had an option to to change your life. But then again, it's like when you come out of prison, it's like no one wants to, to to take a chance on you. It's it's unfortunate. But here you are now facing a life sentence. And if you guys don't know, Brian Rucker, he's the director of the Celebrate Recovery, which, by the way, is an amazing program. I've spoke at tons of them, like in in yeah. different states. Um, a really um awesome recovery program. Uh, he's with the W R church in West Monroe, Louisiana. He's the former cast member of the Duck Dynasty. That's how I got connected with you through Angie Collasson and that whole group. So, just an awesome time to have you here. Yeah, man. But here we are at this moment. I mean, I'm I'm at, dude, I'm pumped to hear what's going to happen here because I couldn't even imagine being in your shoes at 18 years old, mm-hmm. right? doing yeah. life and you're in court and some random old dude looks over and goes, youngster, your life is ruined. Now was yeah. he there going? Was he in the process of going to jail as well? Or yeah, was no, he, he
1: was, uh, well, so we were already in jail and he's sitting there awaiting to hear yeah. from his lawyer. So he's court. sitting there with you, but yeah, he's yeah, older. Yeah. 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 And he's like, uh, and he just looks over and he's like, youngster, your life is over, you know? And, Dang. and I'm like, yeah, it is. Uh, so, you know, man, uh, from that process, it, you know, it was, Man, I was so torn on so many different levels because I catch chain, I go to prison, and, um, you know, I got, I got lawyers uh, and my grandmother at the time telling me, like, hey, there's hope. Like, we're, they filed for a speedy appeal, so I started going back to court quickly, mm-hmm. uh, and so uh, I went on what they call in the Texas prison system a Texas tour. And so basically I hit nine different units in less than four years. And that was because I was on appeals. So I never could get comfortable anywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would um, get somewhere, get comfortable, have to fade the wall with some dudes. And then like they would ship me back to county. Uh, I would go through my court dates and everything. Then they would ship me back. It was this back and forth all the time. Crazy. And, you know, it was, you know, prison for me was really tough because, uh, just like prison here in California, it's mm-hmm. all racially motivated. Right. Yeah. Right. So I'm part of and have tattoos of a black street gang because mm-hmm. I grew up in From a black streets, neighborhood. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, I look like I'm Hispanic. And yeah, I'm a white yeah. dude. You know what I mean? Man, you got it all. So it was like, you know, yeah. which helped me a lot whenever I was selling drugs. But when you go to prison, all of a sudden there's these questions that right. you don't even really know. Like, I don't know. What, you know what I'm saying? Just who do I need to fight? And, like, let's get it over with. You know? Right, right, right. And so, uh, so yeah, man, you know, it was, it was a rough process uh, just under – Uh, four years uh, fighting them on appeals and I end up beating the charges and getting released. Uh, How I beat the charges is, um, you know, man, it's a, it's an act of God in in working through people that are not Christians. Mm -hmm. Like, man, you know, I I think a lot of times we think that, um, you know, in order for God to show up, Mm -hmm. you have to be living in that space. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there's that song, there's no, Uh, mountain he won't tear down or wall he won't break down coming Mm -hmm. after you Mm -hmm. uh and so ultimately just the short version of how i beat the charges uh one of my closest friends was also my co-defendant uh he got into a shootout with the police as he was getting apprehended on the original murder charge killed a police officer he got sentenced to death was given the death penalty and from death row wrote an affidavit to the dea taking credit for the original murder and ultimately, after it was submitted into evidence. No way. Yeah.
0: No yeah, so way.
1: After it was submitted into evidence, it uh, basically gave me my next, it, it gave me a chance to live. Wow. And so then, uh, yeah, a few months later, I'm, I get released. And so, and so, yeah, and that's, uh, you know, man, that's, that's usually, uh, that's the hardest part of this story to tell. Mm-hmm. because uh, I don't I don't know why other than the Holy Spirit was in the midst of doing something because he had plans for my life. Absolutely, And, I, and I'll kind of get into that here in a little bit on yeah. like how that led to my conversion. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, but at the time, it's just like, OK, I'm out. So right around the time I'm 22 years old, mm-hmm. I just wrapped my mind around the fact because I'm still, like, not able to wrap my mind around the fact that yeah. this is my life. I'm getting pulled in several directions. So at 22 years old, I finally am, like, coming to terms, okay, this is going to be the rest of my life. I need to try to get to, like, the bird unit, just, like, get into some classes, like, you know. And then I get released, and I'm right back in the same neighborhood Dang. that I was at. So and, what,
0: what is going on in your mind now? Because, I mean, dude, you've been through hell and back, facing— you know, life. And now you're back in the neighborhood. What yeah. in the heck are you thinking? I wish point? I could
1: say that there was a whole lot of conscious thought yeah. during it all. But man, you're kind of just like, I don't want to say you're going with the flow because you're slipping further and further into madness. Right. As all these changes and shifts are happening. Right. right. You're on this mental roller coaster, Right. So it, I wish I could say that I was consciously thinking, yeah, but- because you don't do that when you're in it. When you look back, you're like, Man, I was so throwed off in the head, mm. you know, but like it, at the time, you're just in the it's here just survival. and now, just you, survival. you're in the here and now, this yeah. is what's happening. Like, okay, I'm getting released. I'm right back in the same neighborhood. Uh, and so, yeah, man, like I was just, I was just sl- f- finding myself further and further, not knowing, further and further away from who God designed me to be. Absolutely. Like I was turning into this other thing. Right. You know, I didn't even feel like a human sometimes. Yeah. Like, totally. you know, there was times where I thought that, like, man, this is a, you know, it's funny people nowadays are the the Matrix thing, like mm-hmm. this is all a simulation. Yeah. Like, dude, I felt like that back then. Yeah. yeah. Like I'm like, man, this is none of this is real. Like, what is, you know, I didn't know what to believe. I didn't know what was going on.
0: Yeah. And yeah. so
1: like, you know, I, I end up right back where where I started. And as soon as I get to the neighborhood, uh, the cops show up and they hit me up and they said, hey. No matter what we got to do, we're going to get you off the street. She was never supposed to get out.
0: Oh, my goodness. And
1: so I, I literally was like, I thought that they were either going to set me up or they were going to kill me.
0: Yeah. And yeah. so
1: my next thought was like, man, I got to get out of Houston. Like, I just got to get away from here. Yes. Um, totally. And this girl I used to mess with just on and on, off and on throughout childhood uh, shows up and she's got this little girl. Uh, this little baby girl, and she's like, "Hey, this could be your daughter, but I don't know if it is." And, uh, and I'm just like,
0: "Oh my!" God. You know, it's, it's, it's,
1: it "I knew it wasn't my daughter." Yeah, yeah but, but still, but it's the- like, "Hey, we're moving. Like, you're, where are you going? Oh, I'm moving to Splendora, away from Houston." And I'm like, "Cool, let's ride with that. Let's go." And so yeah. and so that's where the next uh, the next year. Uh, a year and a half, two years was me moving further and further away from Houston thinking right. that was the answer. Move somewhere, work a job, get laid off, move somewhere else, work a job, get laid off. Uh, we end up having my son. uh And then me and her split up. And long story short, I end up in East Texas over by Longview and I'm working at this chicken express. And I'm like, you know, just trying to make it, just trying to. Be a dad, do something different. You yeah. know, I I was still getting high and still drinking and stuff. Yeah. Like, uh, but I wasn't selling no drugs and I wasn't participating in any gang activities. Yeah. So, like, hey, I'm good. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, totally. And so, um, and then I get laid off from the job at Chicken Express. And it was like, I, I, I remember thinking, like, man, I'm just made to sell drugs. Like, oh, this yeah. is just what I got to do. Yeah. And yep. so uh, I make a phone call, gets, get a couple of bricks brought up to Longview. And I'm like, man, I'm about to just flood this place, like about to take Longview over. You know, mm. Houston's here type deal. Exactly. And um, around that same time period, I found out about my grandmother's health. So after I get convicted uh, of the murder and everything, my grandmother moves to West or Monroe, Louisiana, okay. which is where her and my mom are originally from. So, so my mom and my grandmother originally from Monroe, West Monroe, Louisiana. And in the early eighties, they moved to Houston because they were being investigated for like counterfeit money and some other, like they're just, you -hmm. know, uh, well, after I get convicted, my grandmother moves back to Monroe to be around, uh, family, you know, she's got other kids that live there Mm -hmm. and everything like that. And so, uh, And so I got a phone call from her, uh, and it was like, you know, her health wasn't good. She had just got out of the hospital. It was around Christmas time. Oh, no. So I end up going uh, to Monroe to visit her. Mm -hmm. And I'm there, and I'm I'm standing outside. I'm talking to this lady that's my aunt that I don't know really well or anything. And they're telling me how they're going to put her in a nursing home because insurance wouldn't pay for someone to be with her at night. And for whatever reason, I just said, well, I'll move out here.
0: So now you're talking about, okay, I got
1: it. Like, I'll move out here and take care of my grandma. And, um, you know, I didn't really think about it or anything, but, you know, I hadn't really truly been too scared of too much in my life. It's almost been, like, my downfall. You know, most it's not that I wasn't scared. It's just that I respond to fear in a different way than most people. Most people get afraid, and then there's this flight. For me, it's all a fight, Right. right? Like, I get scared. I do really outlandish and crazy stuff you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. like i don't i don't stop Mm -hmm. and so the you know after having my son uh i became extremely fearful of like him having the life that i did right and so um i knew i didn't want to sell drugs but i i knew i was going back to it so the the reasoning in my mind is i'm literally driving back to east texas Uh, is like, look, I'll move to Louisiana, get a fresh start. Nobody knows me. It could be like just, you know, and uh, so I go back to East Texas, give the drugs to my roommate, give them the keys to the apartment, load up, and I move to Monroe, Louisiana, start taking care of my grandma. I get there for a while, and – you know, I'm there for about a month, get her back on her feet yep. and everything, and I start going everywhere looking for a job. McDonald's at Taco Bell wouldn't even hire me. No. I couldn't get a break nowhere. Unbelievable. And, uh, you know, come and what we'll find out is God had a plan. <laughs> right, right. Right? So whenever you hit a roadblock in one area, sometimes we think that uh, that roadblock is just meant to be adversity. Sometimes it's meant to propel you to your purpose. To, yep. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Um, and so— uh, I start, I'm driving down Thomas road in West Monroe, Louisiana. I look over to the right, see this big Brown building and it's duck commander. And I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, well I'm gonna go in there and ask them for a job. Uh, and so I go in there ask them for a job, uh, about a month goes by and then they end up calling me and I start working at duck commander for $8 an hour folding clothes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a lot more to that, but, yeah. I, but, but man, I, you know, uh, I end up getting the job there. They take a liking to me based on, you know, just my work ethic. Uh, and, you know, it was obvious I wasn't from there. Yeah. Right. Like I showed up with a, a ball fade uh, tattoos and Dickies on, mm. you know what I'm saying? And uh, and so they'd ask me where I was from and I I'd, I'd just tell them like what I'd been through. And they're like, man, you're you're here for a reason. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm yeah. like, man, I'm just like, just don't come to me with no Jesus stuff. Like, I'm just trying to feed my kids. I don't want to sell drugs to do it. Like, right? just so yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're you being know? honest with them. Yeah, and so, um, and so they just, uh, man, they said something to me that that changed my life. What did they say? I love you. Hmm. They said I love you. You know, nobody ever opened up a Bible. Nobody ever pointed to any verses. Nobody ever told me about my sin. These guys changed my life by saying the words "I love you."
0: So amazing. And, Simplicity and, of that.
1: And and it was like, you know, there was no theological discussion. Mm-hmm. There was no, uh, you know, archaeological or historical facts given mm-hmm. to me to prove that God is who God is. Yeah. It was just like, man, we love you. And I had never really heard uh, another man, mm-hmm. you know, say that and did not come with like uh, stipulations. Right, you know? right. In the streets is like, yeah, bro, I love you. But but there's stipulations I attached always, to that. Always. You know? And so um, that was the first thing that really started provoking me to something different. I was like, man, what the heck are they talking about, man? Mm-hmm. Like, you you love me? And um, next thing you know, like, they're giving me more and more responsibility. I started doing different stuff with them. Uh, then they uh, invite me to church. I start going to the church. And uh, So how was it when you went to church? Oh, dude, I went. <laughs> uh, let me tell you this. So, so originally I go to the church. Uh, because I'm telling myself, okay, I'll go to church. They'll see me going to church. Maybe they'll give me a raise. Yeah, gotcha. Right? You know what I'm saying? I'm and like, maybe there's some girls there. Right, right. Yeah, <laughs> no. I was like, yeah, yeah. They, they'll, maybe they'll give me a raise, this and that. So I go the first time, and I'm sitting there, and I'm like looking around, and I'm like, dude, this is all fake. Pastors probably driving a Mercedes. Like uh, we're just, you know, they're just out here living their best life. Um, well, then I get back to work that Monday. And I'm expecting everybody to be like, "Hey, we saw you at church," and da, da da da. That way, I was like, "All right, cool. You see me? Let me get my raise." Type deal. <laughs> and um, and then I get back there. And nobody, nobody mentions it. Nobody's like, "Hey, we see." I was just like, "Crap, I gotta go again." And so I go the next time. And then I go the next time. And the more I went, the more I listened. And the more I listened, everything I that didn't make sense made sense. if mm-hmm. so I put God in the equation. There's that,
0: there's that verse that says, um, Faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of God. And mm-hmm. you were just there listening. Yeah. And God just started speaking to you slowly. That's what I always tell people. I, you know, I go, You need to go to church. Just like go to church and just listen. Right. Just keep showing up. Because I know over time, God will connect. But if, if they're not going, then yeah. they just there's going to be no transformation there's going to be no encounter with God because they're just not hearing it, yeah, you know?
1: yeah, and so you know I used to base everything in my life on science and logic, you yeah. know so to speak, uh scientifically, I should be dead, and logically, I should be in prison the rest of my life, and I wasn't in either one of those spots, mm-hmm. and it used to drive me insane, like I PTSD, couldn't yep. sleep at night. I used to stay up every night just staring in the mirror, getting high and drunk, mm-hmm. like listening to music, trying to figure out what I was going to do, just like in that 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 space of madness. And um, the only thing that ever made what my friend doing, uh, me not being dead, and the only thing that ever made any of that make any type of mathematical sense was if there's a God and he has a plan for my life. Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't like, okay, great. I believe in God. No, I just started to say like, okay, God, if, if this is real, show me. And and it wasn't like show me in a way of like, I need you to give me a burning bush. Yeah, It was like, show me and I'm going to do and study and learn what this Bible says. And if you're real, it'll be revealed to me. Right, right. And, That's and, what's up. And so I did. Uh, and, and man, he's just started revealing himself to me in so many ways. Next thing, you know, I'm getting baptized. Phil Robertson baptizes Mm -hmm. me and, um, man, it's like zero to a hundred real quick. It's like, uh, one, one minute I'm like folding clothes for $8 an hour, or I'm like serving drinks, uh, at the watering hole for Willie, uh, out by duck commander. And then the next thing, you know, like they're putting me on the show uh, people are flying me places to tell my story, mm-hmm. uh, and everything like that. And it was, you know, it's it was it was too much, too quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that uh, God didn't know what He was doing, but I think that He was building character inside of me yep. Yep. through this. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, adversity breeds advancement. So in order for us to have advancements, we have to face adversity, Mm -hmm. not just in life and the stuff that people typically go through, but in our our faith walk through as our faith is being built. And as we're growing, like there's got to be some friction and adversity you face in order for that to grow. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it looked like I'm going all over the place. I'm speaking. I'm doing this stuff, uh, but I'm living this like double life in my young adolescent Christian mind, mm. I'm thinking, but it's all good. Grace abounds. God knows my heart yep. and everything else. So like nine to five, I'm out, I'm talking about Jesus, I'm doing all this stuff, but then I'm coming home and I'm going to smoke a blunt, which, okay, God's cool with because he created the weed, you know what Giant I'm saying? God, and yeah. then like, I'm sleep with women and stuff. And then I'll just, you know, I'm going to go talk about Jesus and he knows my heart. Mm-hmm. It's all good. Mm-hmm. Right. And then I got hit with the realization that either you're for me or against me. There is no gray yeah. area in the word of God. Yeah. It's yeah. like, yeah. hey, this is the truth. The way I am, the way, the truth, and the life. Mm-hmm. Nobody could come to the Father except through me mm-hmm. and you doing a lot of you.
0: And this, and this is why exactly what you were saying, God, show me. Yeah. And as you're reading the Bible, the word is his words, right? Yeah, so yeah. you read it and he will show you the, like, how to live. And these, these guidelines and stuff that he has, it's for a healthy and awesome yeah, life. Yeah. You know, it's not to hurt you actually. No, 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 no. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you're reading, you come to that verse, you come to that verse when Jesus said himself, yeah. I'm the way, the truth and the life. Or yeah. what was the verse you quoted? Um, if you're not for me, you're against
1: me. Right. Right. right? Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, I end up getting arrested. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I just come back from hunting camp. Uh, you know, doing some stuff with Buck Commander. Uh, I get back, and, and I'm just like, I'm celebrating, really. You know, I go out to a bar. I have some drinks. Yep. Uh, you know, my back was hurting, so I grabbed a pain pill from a friend, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, and I'm like, man, this Jesus stuff is awesome. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, you know, it's just <laughs> yeah. like, man, everything's all good all the time. And um, I get back, and, uh, and I'm driving. I'm, I'm trying to give somebody a ride home because they're drunk. And I get pulled over, and I get a DWI charge and a Mm -hmm. possession charge. I was so drunk, I forgot I had a pain pill in my pocket. So I get a a felony possession charge and a DWI. This is three days before my episode is airing on Duck Dynasty. Season 9, Episode 1, Brian Rucker doing the Ice Cabin thing. Oh, my gosh. Like, that show airs on Wednesday. That Sunday, your boy is in jail for a DWI and a possession charge. Wow. And, and and then I'm sitting in the holding tank, and I'm like, how did this happen? I got Jesus. like what? And then the Holy Spirit hits me like a ton of bricks, and it's that either you're for me or against me. Yeah. You know, you can't ride the fence. Nope. You can't ride the fence. I, I have a purpose for you, and it doesn't involve you doing any of this crap that you're doing. Yep. And, exactly. And then my next thought was, well, it's all over anyways. Like, they got to fire me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, there's just um, – and to my surprise, my mentor, Grant Taylor, and along with Willie Robertson, they, uh, you know, everybody got together. They, they came and got me out of jail. Uh, they let me keep my job. They just told me to do two things. They told me to sell my vehicle because I ain't never had a license. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then they said to move into a Celebrate Recovery house. And Perfect. that's how I got into Celebrate Recovery. That's house.
0: how you got in. Yeah. That's amazing. And you know, you know what I love about it? It's the grace. Yeah, the grace of God, you know, we can't kick people when they're down. We got to help them. And it's like, can you imagine if they would have been like, hey, you know what? It's all over. You're done. You blew it. Get out of here. Then then what? But right. instead, they showed the grace of God, which Jesus has so much grace on all of our lives. Yeah. And even the people that are listening now, like, God is in the business of giving you chances. He He, he sees your heart. Mm-hmm. If your heart is right, sometimes you, we do stupid stuff like Peter. I love Peter in the Bible because... Yeah. You know, he's the, he, yeah. I like him because yeah, yeah. he, he's like me. He does yeah. stuff that he doesn't think about, but his heart's right. It yeah, he yeah. just doesn't always come out well. Right. right? Yeah, yeah, hey, yeah. You know what hey. I mean? But his heart's literally right yeah, when, he, yeah. when he's trying to do things. Um, but God's grace on Peter's life, you know, which he called him pebble. You know, this guy was Peter was kind of a tough guy, like mm-hmm. out, outgoing guy, filthy fisherman, like, you know, get it kind of get it done guy, a guy that takes risk, a man of faith. But um, God used this guy mightily. Yeah. You know, in a, in a powerful way. And now here you are, a yeah. man like Peter, you know, going after it, making some mistakes. But your team came alongside you, your your mentors, mm-hmm. and, and these guys that you look up to that that saw that God had a plan in your life. Yeah. Ultimately, they just, they saw you and they go, you know, you're, God has a plan for you and you're in yeah. the right place. And then they had that grace and now you're in cele- celebrate your recovery. Yep. Obviously, that did a great—it's discipleship.
1: Yeah, yeah. So it's a 12-step Christ-centered program, right? Yeah. Uh, You know, and so I I started working the steps. There were some struggles there, too. Like, I got kicked out of the first CR house I went to, everything. Like, man, this process— is one that's gonna come with failure, but yeah. it's a part of the process yep. you know mm. and so um I you know I get into c r start working the program, everything that I lost the one thing cool to that the accountability that the guys the duck commander gave me and buck commander was like, hey, you're not gonna be able to keep doing the stuff that you're doing like this over here work going on hunts, filming stuff like no, you're gonna go back to the warehouse and you're gonna run these tours so it was like we We love you, and we're here for you, but we're you're gonna go into a season of humility, right? There's stuff that you're doing that was really cool, that built your ego, that built up some exactly. pride inside of you. We're doing away with that, and you're gonna and so. Ended up working everything back. Uh, People started asking me to speak again. uh, Became the manager of a sober living home. Uh, Then I became an addiction counselor. Became one of the most sought-after addiction counselors in the state of Louisiana. God's using you, man. Uh, And and so, yeah, you know, uh, here we are today. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm the director of Celebrate Recovery at White's Ferry Road Church. I worked there. Uh, we own sober living. Actually, the sober living houses I lived in for two years, I now own along with my partner, Derek Damn. McQueen, uh, uh, you know, and um, still doing counseling. And everything. And I'm just living in and not living, but abiding in what God has for my life. Mm-hmm. Like I'm done making plans. I'm done coming up with the rules. I'm done trying to figure out what tomorrow looks like or, or harboring on yesterday. I'm just like, God, if you call me to it, I'll have the faith to take the step.
0: And you know what? You're, that's amazing and i would say this is that seek ye first the kingdom of god and his righteousness and all these things will be added and that is the main focus with anyone in ministry because as you see and i see and people that are in ministry it's like satan he's always looking for a way to creep in mm-hmm. and what he wants to do is he wants to take people out that are being used for his glory and the might of the, yeah. in, in a mightily in a great way and god has uh entrusted you with a lot he's using you a lot he's put you around the right people that have come alongside you so now the most important thing not for not only for you but for me for even the listeners is that we need to seek his righteousness daily stay in his will Mm -hmm. deny ourselves, pick up our cross and follow him because god doesn't want lukewarm people because he says if you're lukewarm he'll spit you out of his mouth right he either form or you're against them yeah Thank you for being on the show,
1: man. Appreciate you, you, man. Love you,
0: man. And uh, tune in next week, you guys, and we will uh, have another show for you next Saturday night. Peace. This has been the Ryan Reese show to connect and find out more about Ryan. Click on ryan-reese.com. Check us out next Saturday at 9 p.m. for The Ryan Reese Show. Finding uplifting news in today's headlines is often like searching for a needle in a haystack. At the Story Behind podcast, we believe in the power of finding heartwarming tales and are happy to share empowering stories with you every week. Get inspired by the note a waitress received from a patron dining alone. And even hear about how one VIP passenger made a hardworking pilot get emotional before his flight. To start listening to the story behind podcast, visit lifeaudio.com.